So on, on Sunday nights up until Christmas, we've been looking at the people and events announcing Christ's coming. Uh, last week, we looked at the angels and the shepherds, the tension between the, um, if you like, the peace and, and, and the anguish. And we looked at the prophecies of Isaiah. And we looked at how uh, Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like me. And uh, we looked at how the coming of Christ got to the heart of the matter and the extraordinary experience of Zechariah. And we could have done many more. And I, I think sometimes it's, it's too short a window to try and really reflect on, on all the amazing things that uh, God sending his son into the world entails. Many people talk about a 400 year period of silence from Malachi to when the angel spoke to Zechariah with his message. But I wonder if that's really borne out uh, as true because God always keeps for himself a remnant, a people who is in communion with him and he still does. And it's one of those people that was in communion with God, listening to the Holy Spirit that I want to really highlight tonight and just to think about what he has to teach us. And I've asked Kate if she could read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. So hopefully when Kate starts to talk, the screen will go <laughs> to her. So it's Luke 2, chapter 35 to 25 to Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Thank you, Kate. That was, um, that was great. I think Simeon is, is quite a model for us. He was devoted to the Lord, and he was waiting, hoping for God, and he'd had lined his life up, and he was listening to the Holy Spirit. His life had a, a God-centered purpose. He was hoping and praying for the consolation, which is really the comfort or salvation of Israel. Or we might say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And he lived in this deep intimacy with God and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
the Holy Spirit had revealed something remarkable to him, that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. It doesn't say when this promise was given. It might have been many years before. But he had a promise that he would see the Lord's anointed. And we don't know the backstory. We hear many people say they've heard God say this or they've heard God say that to them. But Simeon pursued this longing that he had in his heart that God had put there, that, that he would see the Lord's anointed. And, and, and he was interceding. He was waiting on God. He was praying for, looking for uh, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And the comfort of Israel is, of course, the coming of the Lord's anointed. So he was participating in this promise. He wasn't kind of um, idle about it or, or, or passive, but, but he was engaged. He was partnering with God, looking for and preparing the way of the Lord. And so here is Simeon, and it says the Spirit moved him to go into the temple. It's like the day came and the Holy Spirit said, go now. This is it. And the lovely thing that Simeon was ready, he, he was unencumbered, he was listening, he was attentive, and he went in. And he must have just gone in there and stood there and waited looking around him. And unlike the video, uh, there would have been many, many people uh, going in and out. It was such a busy place. So I want you to imagine there's... Simeon standing there, um, lots of people milling, going to and fro, and, and, and God has told him that he's going to see the Lord's anointed, and, and yet he has no idea who he's looking for. And uh, it may be that something stirred in him as, as this, this young couple came with their doves because they were too poor for a more uh, formal offering. And the Holy Spirit must have just prompted him and said, this, this is him. I want you to notice something about Simeon that contrasts with all the other stories of uh, the Advent. Notice there's no angels. Notice there's no sign. The shepherds had a sign to how to find him. There's no star. There's no miracle. There's only the prompting of the Holy Spirit that came out of his life of devotion. And that's our model. It's, it's, you know, Romans 8 tells us that all of those who are led by the spirit are the sons of God, and, and that's the spirit of adoption. So he was in a place where he was listening and hearing God's Holy Spirit, and that stands him out, really, with, with Anna. Of all of the Advent stories that... that um, that these, these two were partnering with God. They were, they were waiting for, they were looking for, they were praying in uh, the Lord's coming. And that's a picture really for us today, isn't it? To be looking for, to be praying in uh, the coming of the Lord. And, and when he'd seen the baby, eight, the eight-day-old baby that was brought into the temple to be circumcised, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You can dismiss me now. So we get the sense that he'd, he'd done this, this waiting for, for quite a long time. And he's saying, you can take me now because I've done what you asked. It's just like God had people partnering with him. 
interceding with him, listening, bringing in the kingdom of God as he does now. And, and I think we can just undervalue that role of, um, of watching and praying. And when he saw him, as I said, he could said, I can go in peace. I've seen him. So God had faithful men and women waiting for him, Simeon and Anna, people looking for the kingdom of God. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? What, what about us? Are, are we aligning ourselves with God's purposes? Are we looking for, waiting for the kingdom of God? And traditionally, this is the time of year uh, when we reflect over the year that's been and the new year that's coming. It is a time of reflection as we think back on last year and contemplate the year ahead. And Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, and he says these words in verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The Living Bible puts it like this, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend time as we should. It's not so much about counting our days, because none of us knows how many there are. But it's about making our days count. And what's for sure is that the older you get, the more you realize this, that your days pass very quickly. Again, Psalm 90 verse 10 says, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And this is my own experience, and, and I know others share it, that you wonder where the week has gone. It only seems like a day or so and, and the week has passed and I believe Psalm 90 gives the reason for this. I think it's, you know, when you're young or even very young, you haven't lived that long. A month or a year is such a very big part of your life. It seems an age, but the smaller part of your life a week or a year is, the quicker it seems to pass. And as again, I've been meditating on Psalm 90, verse 2 says this, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Eternity is from everlasting, it's to everlasting. It's a bit like infinity, it's, it's immeasurable. It's beyond defining it. It's everlasting to everlasting. But against this period of time, a thousand years, that's not very long. And so the psalm goes on to say in verse four, a thousand years in your sight, it's like a day that's just gone by, or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night is probably three, maybe four hours. So measured against eternity, a thousand years is just a watch in the night. Time passes so quickly. And the reason for saying this is, is, is our lives are short. Again, Psalm 90 says our, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, that's verse 10. It's humbling to realize this. James 4 says, what is life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psalm 39 verse 5 says, let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone's but a breath, and even those who seem secure, surely everyone is but a breath. I will get on to some encouraging things shortly, but it is just important for us to realize that we've been given this gift uh, of our lives right now, and uh, we have to make certain choices. But in comparison 
to the Lord. Um, it says in Isaiah 40, doesn't it, verses 5 to 8, all people are like grass and their faithfulness like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fails because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. So we want to make this life that we've all been given as, as a gift count. Our choices and priorities are really important. And that's a challenge for all of us. And this is a time of year then we tend to just reflect. And I think it's good to reflect. Ephesians 4 and 5 contain some really great advice. Ephesians 5 encourages us to find out what pleases the Lord. I've got a sense, the more I think about Simeon, that he really, really pleased the Lord just by making himself available at that time. And it's really wonderful for us that, that we can ask God this question. You know, does this please you? What is it that pleases you? Help me to line my life up with things that please you. And Ephesians 4 verse 16 encourages to make the most of every opportunity. I've talked about how short our life is, but I, I want to encourage you by this amazing fact. That God's love and God's grace is so great that this life isn't long enough for God to show it, show it all to us. There's so much to God's grace that he needs the ages to come as well as this life to show us how, how infinitely great his love is for us. I'm reading Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 10. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. For we are God's handiwork. Other translations say we're God's masterpiece, we're God's creation, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in. So in this life, we do have purpose we have god's divine purpose we were made for his glory the amazing thing is we can show the glory of god most by just being the people god made us to be in the place that god has put us in the ordinary everyday life paul writing to the corinthians said let everyone stay in the calling in the position in which god has called them into it's as though God wanted to transform their lives in the everyday where they were. It's like a plough planted, planted in, in a flower bed that brings joy and appreciation. And we are the planting of the Lord. So my advice is, is particularly for younger ones, is don't wish your life away. Don't wish your children all grown up ever so quickly, because that happens soon enough. Your working life can be just a breath. Don't wish it away. The hard times 
They make us strong and we can find God in them. In a sense, we don't want to wish those away, although we don't long for hard times. Be grateful for who we are and what God has given to us and give thanks for that. Like my mother, I'm a person um, who makes lists. I have frequent to-do lists. Always on my desk, there is a paper with three columns in it. One column says family home. Another column says church. Another column says the charity that I'm involved with, which is Muller's. And I always write what I need to do on my to-do list. And I often find that if something gets on the to-do list, it gets done. Because I have a tendency to be sometimes rather task-focused. And um, I've discovered that even when I cross things off the to-do list, it seems to repopulate itself rather easily with, that, with, with no apparent difficulty at all. There's always something else that can pop up whenever you cross something off your to-do list. So I've always got something to do. We looked at a way of managing that today in, in, the, in the live meeting, which Tom explained to us, the Eisenhower matrix, which I won't go over again, but it was rather useful. But anyway, it came to me as I was thinking about my to-do list that I should have a to B list as well as a to-do list. And my to-be list would only have one thing on it, which would be to be present and to bring my best self to every situation. And I have constantly tried to do that in, in the last year. I've consciously tried to have a, a weekly Sabbath type. I say Sabbath type because I'm not following laws of Sabbath, but I believe the whole principle of the Sabbath is, is really important. So I've been trying to follow a Sabbath type day th throughout the week and taking steps to stop and to notice things, noticing flowers actually stop and just looking at them, just looking at the sunsets, the people around and trying to value and to listen and to reassess the importance and the worth. And this is work in progress for me, I'm sure for others too, but I'm enjoying the views. I'm enjoying just seeing things. So if I'm more in touch with my being than I am with my doing, there are things not to be missed that, that are transformative. See, when I think of Simeon, he was present. He was following the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be in the temple. At the moment, the family walked in. And was that critical to God's plan of salvation? Maybe not. But to greet the divine glory re-entering the temple and to bless the Holy Family, that's worth living for. It was as though Ezekiel, many generations before, had seen the glory depart from the temple. And Simeon saw it return. And for me, that just simple act of dedication and, and worship, stand alongside Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. She was another listener, another present one. It stands alongside many great acts of faith. He was being a friend of God. He was being in fellowship with God. He was present at that moment. 
And I think those are moments in our lives that we just need to capture them. They're, they're special, they're rare. We should write them in our journals. The usefulness of our life is his concern. If I make him my concern. If I put him first, as it were, in, in, in terms of devotion and adoration, I can be present with him in those times of intimacy. In November 19, I wrote these words in my journal and I, and I think they're positive and I want just to read them to you. It, it, I, I wrote these words, I feel a sense of contentment by faith in God's presence, which expressed itself in a simple thought that I don't want to be somebody else. I don't want to be anyone else. I don't want to be someone else's. I don't want anybody else's wife or family or children or grandchildren, family or possessions. I don't want anyone else's relationship with God. I don't want anyone else's ministry, giftings or church. I am and I want to be content in my father's house. It doesn't mean I don't want more, more of God in my life. And it doesn't mean that I'm not often frustrated, very frustrated with myself sometimes. And I have to confess, I'm sometimes frustrated with other people's actions and reactions. But that doesn't mean I want to be somebody else's because I only want what comes from a relationship with God and, and a loving union with him. And I'm convinced that God holds us in his hands and he's made us and created us to be who we are. And so we can rest and worship in who God has made us to be in our situation, our experiences, our lives have been incredibly carefully worked together that we might be the people that we are, that we might walk in the good works that God has planned for us to walk in, that we might be in that moment, in that time, for him in that place, the people of God as Simeon was. So just in conclusion, I want to read a scripture from Isaiah. Uh, he spoke these words in chapter 55. He said, come, all you are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread or your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me, eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fares, richest of fare. He says, give ear, come to me, listen, that you may live. This seems to be the consistent message of the Bible, doesn't it? Come to me, listen. Give ear that you may live. And it's easy sometimes. Are we trying to get through to the next bit of calm, the next bit of me time, the next bit of retail or other therapy? Or are we receiving him into our lives? Are we spending time, money, resources on that which cannot satisfy? Can we come to him? that we may live. Is my heart able to position itself long enough as Simeon did to hear the words 
you are going to see the Christ, not just in your lifetime, but you're going to see the Christ today. So the Holy Spirit moved him to go into the temple that day to see the Christ. And that's our prayer that we will see the Lord today. We'll see him in situations of life. We'll see him in our intimacy and quiet times. We'll see him in our activity and our work. That we will see the Lord. And Isaiah goes on, encourages people to turn. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then he encourages us to turn. So my my prayer, if you like, my, my cause for reflection is, where can I turn to him to do things differently? Uh, we've had a lot of carols o- over this last period, and one of the verses of Little Town of Bethlehem it sort of mentions how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So as we humble ourselves before God and come and listen, it's as though the Lord really comes in. So I wondered if we could just spend a few minutes um, just going to pray. Uh, there's another song I'd like us just to listen to. It's, it's a simple song about Noel. Noel. And as we just listen and we can stop the recording, I'd just like you to ask the Holy Spirit to uh, 